Well, welcome back to On Point, and my name is David Peck. We have a special guest here with us uh, tonight to talk about a whole lot of things. I think you've uh, probably already come to expect that from from my interviews, but we have Libby Hoffman here with us tonight to speak about her new book, The Answers Are There. I love the title. We're going to find out a little bit more about what some of those answers are. The subtitle of the book is Building Peace from the Inside Out. Libby Hoffman is the um, founder and president of Catalyst for Peace. She's a peace builder and a philanthropist. Libby, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure to be here. So, so kind of a bold title, really. It just, it, as I was saying, you know, I've seen the book, it's been sitting on my desk for quite a while now, and I've been flipping through it and reading it. I'm not finished the book yet, by the way, but congratulations coming out for people to uh, purchase on the 25th of October. It must be pretty exciting. It's thrilling. Yeah, I bet. And I'd love to hear more about that. But yeah, tell us about the bold title. The answers are there. Well, one of the things that I've encountered in my now 35 years in international peace building is that so much of the peace and development arena, the international arena itself is structured um, around this, what I really feel is a false dichotomy. Hmm. Um, It defines those that are on the receiving end of aid or support as those that have need and those that are from the outside, from the international arena coming in as those that have the resources, whether it's money or expertise and what we have seen is it's the most powerful peace and development and social change happens when you reverse that, when you understand and work from the assumption that the answers are there, that the people and communities most impacted by whatever your issues you're facing. And for me, it's been mostly people coming out of war and violent conflict, that they have the resources and the answers to address the issues that they're facing even in the midst of horrible challenges. And so the role of the outside supporter is not to come in and to save or to fix, but to create the space for the answers and the resources that are there to come forward and then to build from that and to magnify from that and create um, learning spaces. So you're coming in as a learner, an inviter, an accompanier of that, of that process. And what we found is that when you work from that basis, it unleashes incredible Potential. You know, it's fascinating. I I love everything that you said for so many reasons. Because, and, and I love too the irony in my presupposition, hmm. you know, even though it was, I've seen the title quite a few times now as it's, as I flipped through it sitting on my desk, but it just, as I read it, read it out for our audience, I just went, oh, the answers, the answers are there. Wow. Okay, great. I, I need to hear more. But what you're actually saying is, hang on, this is a way more, uh, uh, this is a step back. We're not coming in with our clipboards and our Excel sp- spreadsheets necessarily. We're we're coming in to listen. The answers exactly. are there, not yes. right. It's not yeah. that we're bringing them with us, but these are these are embedded already in communities around the world. Exactly, and that there's two dimensions to it that you really alluded to. One is we have to go in to see the resources that are there, but it requires us to act differently than the way we've been taught or trained to act, or even the way that our organizations might be directing us to act. So it requires a different way of engaging for the international Mm. community and even within a country for the national leaders and even the local leaders that, that are working. Um, It is much more about invitation and accompaniment. We talk about going to and walking with. 
Invitation and accompaniment. So uh, going to walking with, interesting. So it's more about uh, listening. Yes, listening. Empowerment and and, and really unpacking what empowerment means in a very particular context. Does that make sense? It does. The other thing that it really recognizes, and this is what we've seen in Sierra Leone, where I've worked for the last 15 years, um, you have to ask how can the answers that are latent become visible in Sierra Leone that happens in community. So building, creating spaces for collective decision-making and collective planning and action are what unleash the answers that are there. And so a lot of them in that case, the task of the outsiders to help build community, build the space for people to figure things out themselves. It sounds like a pretty good model for politics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. going, going for a little bit of a laugh there, but at the same time, when you, you know, you're talking, what, what were some of the phrases you used? You know, collective planning, collective yeah. action. I mean, from, I mean, you didn't use the phrase from the ground up, but I, I went there. Like, this has got to be about, I mean, how corny is this? It's got to be for the people and by the people, right? It on, is on, on some level, right? Well, and I think at its fundamental level, that's what pol- politics is. It's the way we organize the mm. the communal. Yeah, right. But, that's good. But so much, at least in the international arena, and, I, and I'm and i seeing more and more how it's true nationally too, um, the structures uh, are outside in. They're almost imposing from the from the outside. And so when you reverse that, it changes the trajectory of, of action and also of impact. Now you talked about from the ground up, and yes, that is true. But one of the things that we hear a lot is top down. Mm. And the alternative to top down is bottom up. Right. But I actually reject both of those because it preserves an assumption of a hierarchy. Right. And that's another thing that I Well, you you started out with the whole notion of a false dichotomy. So yes, exactly, and and I I think um, there are different locate people are located in different places. Some live in local communities, and some live and work at the state or district level. Some live or work at a national or an international. There are different levels, but I think of those levels not as in a line with some on top and therefore higher and better, and some on bottom. But I think of it as like mixing bowls, nested mixing bowls, or nested circles. And some are farther from the center where the issue is that you're addressing, and some are closer and immediate. So you have different roles and different responsibilities, but everybody is engaged in a system that is whole in that sense. And there's no there's no hierarchy. There's distinctness and difference of, of role and responsibility, but not hierarchy in that way. Yeah, almost uh, where I went sort of trying to analogize it was, a, a, I guess, a circular, I guess a line, but a circle that's connected with, with gradations along it. So there's nothing, the one isn't necessarily better than the other, but it's it's connected. There's a thread. You're sort of working hand in hand. You're sort of uh, working as, hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, like one, a visual, a flat, a two-dimensional metaphor would be a target. Okay. Um, a three-dimensional would be a set of mixing bowls. And so if you think about, and this is one of the other things, um, the community itself isn't an actor in the system. There's people that live in it, but the community is like the cup. 
Mm. And a metaphor that I use a lot, actually, in the international system, uh, aid system, the community is like a cup and the aid system is like a bottle of water. And when there's a problem in a cup, in a community, they pour water in, but it goes right through because the cup itself is broken. Now, the cup itself or community is invisible. And if you're not even aware of the cup, the community, you can't do the work of repairing the cup which is what really unleashes the potential and the capacity within the it, community. Has that, has that been something that's been dysfunctional about the international aid community for you, for maybe community is the wrong word because it's not a community, but the, the, that environment that they've approached this for the most part in an inappropriate way, they haven't listened. They haven't enough. listened and mm. they haven't done the work of creating the space. If you don't recognize the community as an entity, mm. you don't recognize the work of repairing the community. And the reality is, is that most people can, it, most communities, I mean, I've seen some of the communities mo worst impacted by war or Ebola. Nevertheless, when they come back together and work together, unleash incredible energy and capacity to address their needs to prevent Ebola, to recover from war, to heal, to, to, to meet the needs of education or healthcare or whatever, when they come back together as a community. And the international community, by not seeing the community itself, misses what it is that actually helps the community move forward after crisis or, or tragedy. You used, you used the phrase, or whatever, you know, and I think there's a lot of bullet points below that. Can, can you talk about that a little bit, what that whatever means, you know, in, in, a, in a Canadian or in a, a U.S. or in a Western context from, from like may, maybe even what are some of the lessons learned? There's only about 23 questions embedded in there. Me... <laughs> I could have, I'm sure, many times that uh, answers. And you have eight uh, and a half minutes before. to answer exactly. every one of them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, well, actually, a story comes to mind. You know, we made a film about the, the work that we've been doing for the last 15 years in Sierra Leone. Uh, the program is called Fumble Talk and the film is called Fumble Talk. And I was showing that um, that film and giving a talk about it to a group of sixth graders in Philadelphia. Okay, and just before you go on, it's called Fumble Talk. Is that F A M B U L T O K? And yeah. is there? And can we find a little more about that online? The film is available at fumbletalk.com. Oh, there you um, go. It's actually for uh, for freely streaming right now on on Vimeo. Fantastic! Oh, and awesome. the work is fumbletalk.org. So either one of those will. There you go. Take Thank you. you. In some good directions. So these students in Philadelphia, they were sixth graders, and they were hearing about these stories of acknowledgement and apology and forgiveness in Sierra Leone that happened around the bonfire and how people were recovering from awful situations um, left by their 11-year civil war. And I remember one sixth grader looking at me and saying, you know, I was always taught that Africa just was was poor and mm. had all this, and all they had was disease and problems. And he goes, but I think they're rich and we're poor because they have community. Wow. Like he could see the power of community. Right. And this class had been dysfunctional like all year long. They'd had these conflicts um, and it was really inhibiting their learning space. And they were out on a field trip and one of the um, children hit another one. And instead of running and going and grabbing the teacher, they gathered around and said, hey, let's have our own fumble talk. And they sat down in a circle and started talking through what happened and why and how they could, what they could do about it. And they solved the issue. 
And they got back into their classroom the next day and the teacher sat everybody down and said, let's do that again. And, you know, you had your own fumble talk yesterday. We're going to do that. And they understood that when they came together and worked together, they could address some of the really hard things that mm. they were were facing. And it helped set the the tone for them. And not only did it change, transform their classroom, but they became leaders in the school and trying to create spaces like that across the whole school. Um, so I think that's one way um, is that when we create spaces for conversation, even about difficult things, that it is possible to face and to move through difficult things if we can create the kind of space that allows for that. And the other kind of, just at a basic level, one of the things that I've learned in my work in Sierra Leone in particular is how powerful local communities are. And, you know, we think that big change, change has to be big. That And, and right. in reality, some of the biggest resources are our neighbors mm. and the ways that we spring into help for the people that we live closest to when we face a tragedy. Those are, I think, real untapped resources for good. And what I would love to see if it is that we could design our recovery and ongoing aid processes domestically around if we could flip it almost and do it around that assumption that really understood the value and the power of these local networks of care that we have that can be really powerful if we can find ways to put decision making and resourcing at the most local levels. Yeah, what a great phrase, local networks of care. So basically, don't underestimate your neighbor, essentially, right. is what you're saying. There's yeah. there's so much uh, power there. There's Power might be the wrong word, but there's there's knowledge, there's resource, there's, there's, uh, there's somebody- Webs of connection. Webs of connection, um, um, uh, relationships. Yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's really remarkable. There's a, there's a woman in, in uh, the community where, where, where we live who has an organization that works with uh, education. She's got a food bank going on, Oak Park Neighborhood Community Center. And, and essentially they have this idea that they work within a several kilometer radius of where they are. And if that isn't the whole, essentially building on that, uh, what was it again? Local networks of care. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the risk of going for the cheap joke again, like I, I did in the first part of our, our, our chat, you know, this isn't this politics? Isn't this what we're, I don't know, supposed to be doing as communities? It's got to be more about than just, you know, coming out and voting, I hope. Well, right? I think it's, it is, it's social connection. It's social change, which ultimately is what politics is supposed to. It's how we organize the collective. Mm. Um, and is the collective organized in a way that pushes us towards each other or that pulls us away from each other? And I think the more that it can be organized in ways that allow us to, that, that really push us towards each other, the more powerful it can be. You, you talk about um, your, your book, I, I'm, notorious for using post-it notes and I mark my books up. I hope that's okay with you. <laughs> the more uh, the merrier from yeah, my perspective. Not, not every love author it. loves that I, that I, that I mark their books up, but, but for me, it's, it's always great to go back and see what I was thinking about at the time. And I usually try to take some notes and scribble a few things down on a piece of paper. You don't always have the time to do that. You talk, you talk about, um, containers of wisdom. Hmm. Yeah. Can, can you unpack that a little bit? I mean, is that just sort of the outpouring of, of the benefit of being in a whole community? Can, it, is it bigger than that? I'd love to hear a bit more because I think there's some, you know, at the risk of sounding too corporate, I think there's some really profound takeaways there for all of us. 
I think there's, I've experienced micro and macro levels of that. And in the context of communities in Sierra Leone that were virtually destroyed physically, emotionally, spiritually um, in their civil war, the networks of community were destroyed too. And as they got reconnected and rebuilt, and as the communities identified the people within their community that they trusted to help lead them through these processes, inevitably you can have a, a forgiveness ceremony and it 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 marks a turning point, but it doesn't end the conflicts that community is going to face. And so when they face new conflicts, they had these re-knit networks of community of the 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 people that they in experience considered to be wise elders. And they they had a, a place where they would go and gather and bring the new conflicts to these members of their own community. And they became containers of wisdom for the community. The community with that right container could figure things out, even some really difficult things um, that, that they faced going forward. So it became a space that allowed the vitality of the community to go forward. I've seen that for myself as a leader, you know, in leading and building this work um, and supporting its growth in Sierra Leone for over 12 years, I reached a point where I hit my limits mm. and realized that I was functioning um, as a lone leader. Right. And I had individual relationships of support, but I didn't have a collective, I didn't have my own community. And how could I be doing community healing and not have my own community? So I had to stop my work convene a group of these wise colleagues and friends of mine. And it, it turned into um, what I call my wisdom circle. Hmm. And I needed that space that could hold me as a leader and as a person and the, the, the way that I was being called to go forward organizationally. And without that collective communal space, I don't think the next levels of growth of our work could have ever happened. Yeah, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So it's it's about recognizing maybe when it's time, not just to listen, but to maybe tap somebody else and say, I, I and have the humility to say, I, I need some help here. I need to, can, can you help me out with this? Yes. And to know, I, I also think there's a dimension of it. There's a kind of, I think there's a kind of wisdom that we can access collectively it's really hard to access individually. Yeah, it's good. When we're together in a community, there's a, a collective intelligence that right, is just nice. much more, much more present. There's a political um, joke in there again. I'm sorry. Yeah, collective, <laughs> collective intelligence. It's like turning exactly. turning politics on its head, right? Com yeah. Communal, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and I would say one more. If this isn't too esoteric, um, you know, I think uh, of the system that we're in, I, I think a, the humanitarian aid system in general is broken. Mm. Um, and we've been trying to live out a, a different system from the inside out. And although communities are held locally, a district is held a district, a nation is held nationally, where there's an international level, I think that there's this larger sort of more universal wisdom that holds it all of what is a healthy and whole system and mm, what is this new question. the way that we should be working and that is a container in a way for the whole if we can 
Yeah. Connect in, connect in with it, Libby. It's great, and I'm afraid we have to we have to go to a break. And we just have, as my listeners now know, one of my favorite phrases is "We've barely scratched the surface." Thank you <laughs> so much for. We didn't even get to talk about the twenty million dollars you inherited, and we will have to have you back on the show for that down well, down the road for well, sure. You listeners will have to buy the book then. <laughs> there you go. You're gonna have to buy the book, Libby Hoffman. She's here with us today. She's a peace builder. She's a philanthropist, founder, and president of Catalyst for Peace. The book is "The Answers Are There" from Blue Chair Press, coming out on October 25th. Libby, thank you so much for spending some time with me today on the show. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be with you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to On Point, and my name is David Peck. <laughs> 